0: couple of weeks, we have been talking about prayer, specifically the problem with prayer. Two weeks ago, we we talked about how one of the problems with prayer is actually ourselves and our unwillingness to acknowledge God's accessibility to us, but that the solution to that problem is found in the Holy Spirit as a fulfilled promise by God that affirms our dependence on Him and invites us to know God and to be known by God. Last week, we talked about the problem of prayer at all times, where we recognize that praying at all times seems like an impossible and unrealistic request, but that because God is accessible to us, because he is over all, through all, and in all, that we can converse with God whenever and wherever we are. Today, we are concluding our series on the book of Ephesians. We are also concluding this mini-series on the problem with prayer. Now, we have been journeying through this letter from the Ephesians since September 2019. It's been a long journey for us. And throughout much of this letter, it is rooted in the two greatest commandments that Jesus lays out for us, to love God and love others. Which brings us to the last problem with prayer, it's this idea of praying for one another. Now, As I was preparing for this message this week, I came across some prayers from kids as that I thought would be fun to share today, just to give a brief sampling of what some of these prayers could look like. Dear God, I went to this wedding, and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Dear God, thank you so much for the baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. Dear God, are you really invisible, or is that just a trick? Dear God, if you give me a genie, a, a genie lamp like Aladdin has, I'll give you anything you want except my money and my chest set. Dear God, I bet it's really, really hard for you to love everyone in the whole world. There's only four people in my family, and I could never do it. And the last one. Dear God, I want to be just like you when I'm your age, okay? Isn't that, I love that prayer. Isn't that a sweet prayer? When I grow up, I want to be just like you, Jesus. And sometimes we pray, we pray just to help make sense of God or make sense of our lives and our circumstances, don't we? Just like some of these kids were doing. Other times we pray and we pray because we don't really know where else to turn. Paul, though, in Ephesians 6, reminds us that prayer isn't just a communication where we talk to God about ourselves and our situations and our circumstances, but that prayer is actually a very practical way that we can put our love for others into action as well. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospels, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, essentially, what we're seeing in these verses, in these concluding verses from Paul here, is a request to the Ephesian church. He's laid it out, laid it out all for them. And then he concludes with these words. And basically he's just. Simply, he, Paul starts simply by encouraging the Ephesian church just to pray for all the Lord's people. Pray for everyone. If they love Jesus, pray for them. Pray for each other. He's essentially saying, I've laid it all out for you Jews and Gentiles. We are recognized that there's some differences, but there's also one significant similarity. That we're all in this together as we pursue Jesus. Don't forget that in spite of your differences, you are united under Jesus who is over all, through all, and in all. Which means that whether you're Jew or Gentile, or German or Nigerian, or rich or poor, pray for each other. Love each other enough to pray for one another. Then Paul, though, in verse 19, he begins to shift some of the conversation, shift some of the focus from praying for each other, and he says, also, could you pray for me as well? Pray for me too pray for me while I'm in jail that when I speak that I'll represent Jesus well pray that I'll talk about that w- that I will talk about Jesus without fear that I won't be afraid of what the Romans will do when I tell them how much Jesus loves them or who he is pray for me now consider here for a moment who Paul is talking about talking to this letter is written towards. We know that it's written to the Jews and Gentiles. The reality is, is that they would have understood spiritual leadership under a certain context of religious authority. Where the spiritual leaders that they followed before following Jesus were often viewed within a certain degree of hierarchy that distinguished the spiritual leaders above everyone else. Priests, Pharisees, Sadducees. All of these spiritual leaders whose followers had placed them on this pedestal high above everyone else, they were admired and respected and revered. These were teachers who had all the authority and perceived spiritual knowledge that none of them lower people could have. So the, where the cultural norm at that time would have just nurtured this perceived strength of these spiritual leaders, these, these, these leaders clearly had their lives put together They weren't in need of anyone, and everyone knew it. As I mentioned last week, though, prayer reminds us that we are dependent on God. So when Paul here says, pray for me, Paul here is actually recognizing his own limitations and inabilities and his total dependence on God but he's actually beginning to model for them a different form of spiritual leadership for the Ephesian church to follow and live out. Paul here in this request to pray for him models for the Ephesians what healthy vulnerability looks like. Instead of insulating himself from others and denying his shortcomings and limitations and staying high up on that pedestal, he actually reaches out to the church and invites prayer from them. The reality is, is that people often think that there is strength in working through our struggles by ourselves, working through things on our own. Because somehow, that if we show that we have any sort of struggles in our lives or weaknesses, if we ask for help or if we ask for prayer, that somehow it might invalidate people's perceptions of us. That we'll be seen as weak or inadequate. The reality is, though, Is that it takes more strength to show our weakness and be vulnerable and ask for prayer than it does to pretend that everything is okay? Let me say that again. It takes more strength to show our weaknesses. It takes more strength to show our limitations. It takes more strength to show our shortcomings and our inabilities. It takes more strength to show our vulnerabilities and ask for prayer than it does to pretend that everything is just okay. And herein lies the problem with praying for one another, right? Where our unwillingness to be vulnerable with one another causes us to almost justify our own solitude and isolation, just so that we can escape from the discomfort of people knowing us for who we really are or what's happening in our lives. Paul, though, not only climbs down from the pedestal, but he kicks it over says, I'm actually just like all of you. I'm a pastor, but I struggle. I'm a missionary, but I can't do it alone. I love Jesus, but I'm just a man. So pray for me. Paul here is beginning to set the example of what a community built on love looks like, and it starts with praying for one another. Where we set aside the need for self-protectionism, where we set aside the fear of our lives becoming scandalized. We set aside the uncertainty that we might simply just disappoint people. See, suddenly life looks a lot messier when we start to pray for each other regularly and consistently. But that's actually what community looks like. Where all of these things, fear and pride and insecurities... These things all become problems that often prevent us from seeking prayer from other people. Ultimately, those things also hinder us from, from becoming the church God designed us to be. So what is it for us? What is it for you? The fear that you might disappoint someone? They'll know that I don't have my life altogether if I ask for prayer. So the fear of scandal? I'm afraid I'll just be labeled as a hypocrite if they know the effects of pride. Something happens and we just we need to make a major decision and we conclude, well, that's just life. I'll just figure it out on my own. That's fine. I don't need help from anyone else. I think I'm guilty of all three of those. I don't know about you. Or maybe we've convinced ourselves that we have pure and good intentions. We're not asking for prayer from other people because we, we just don't want to burden them with our problems. After all, we we all have our stuff, and probably have enough things happening in our lives that we don't want to add one more thing to someone else's plate, right? Like prayer. I mean, how how ridiculous does that sound, though, right? Where we think that person has too much going on in their lives that I can't ask them to pray for me. Shouldn't the church be the first place that people turn to for prayer? We actually have people in our community, homeless people, that will come specifically into our building because they know that they will receive prayer. The truth is, is that all the different reasons why we justify not asking for prayer are lies that we use to convince ourselves to avoid spiritual and relational intimacy with other people. And Satan wants us to believe that you and I are alone. Especially when we aren't, unfortunately, when that happens, we end up just sitting in our own anger or our own hurt or our own resentment, our insecurities, our uncertainty. We don't know where to turn, so we just think, "Oh I'm, just, I'm not going to ask for prayer, I'll just figure it out." And the real problem with asking for prayer is that we don't always want to face our demons, both figuratively and literally. and we certainly don't want anyone else to know about them either. So we pretend that they don't exist and that everything's okay by hiding it behind a smile or just simply saying, I'm good, when asked, how are you doing on a Sunday morning? So when Paul asks for the the prayers of the Ephesian church, he begins to look past his own limitations, look past his his own shortcomings and insecurities, and instead invites the church to join him on his sacred journey as they collectively pray on Paul's behalf. Question now, though, as Paul begins to lay out this request and say, "Would you pray for me?" is how the Ephesian church will respond. Will they actually do it or not? How will they? Will they say yes, or will they say, "Yeah, we'll do it. I'll, I'll pray for you this week at some point, maybe." And this is where yet another problem with prayer, praying for others, happens. And I, and admittedly here, I'm super guilty of this one. Often when someone asks for prayer. We find ourselves just offering counsel and advice. Instead of inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to that person instead. Which is actually what they actually which is what they actually asked for. I'm not entirely sure why I do this. Maybe you have wisdom for me, but I have some guesses and I'm gonna share a couple here. I think one maybe that sometimes God does speak through us as his people, and we can offer perspectives from relatable experiences. I suspect, though, that there are times that sometimes one of the reasons why we prefer to give advice instead of prayer is because of our own discomfort with the messiness of other people's lives. Where we're uncomfortable with their vulnerability or the disorder. And and so as a result, we try to create order from their chaos instead of entering into it with them. If you just do this, this, and this, then all your problems will be solved and you don't need to pray because I just solved it for you. But that's the difference between a doctor and a friend. We aren't always called to be a healer or to fix someone's situation. That's That's the great physician's job. Again, we aren't called to bring healing or fix someone, but we are called to love. We are called to be a friend. We are called to... Into to be a companion and to walk with the people that God has placed in our lives. Where we can show kindness and extend mercy towards others. A Jesuit priest by the name of K- James Keenan once said, Mercy is the willingness to enter into the chaos of another. Let me say that again. Mercy is the willingness to enter into the chaos of another where we enter into the chaos of someone's life. We set aside our discomfort with with their situations, whatever's going on and saying, and, and instead walk side by side with them through the chaos as we both pursue Jesus together, listening, responding, exploring, worshiping together as we walk through the chaos. Over my career as a pastor, I've had many opportunities where I've done this well, I think. More often than not, though, I feel like I've failed miserably, where there have been times where people have invited me into the chaos of their lives, and all I've wanted to do is just just follow my advice, just follow this, do this, this, and this, and everything will be back to order. Just do exactly as I say, and this mess will all go away. Basically, I just want to solve the problems for them. It's taken a while for me to figure this out, but I've noticed that it usually doesn't help. Maybe because my advice isn't helpful, I'm not sure. But I think more than anything, what I've, that what I've learned is that when people invite us into their lives, invite me into their lives to, and ask for prayer, is that they aren't looking for solutions or advice, but shocker, they're looking for prayer. They simply want us to be present with them and look for Jesus together in the midst of their lives. About 10 years ago, I was actually, Natalie and I were able to be recipients of that kind of love from the people in our lives. When we had a miscarriage, nothing, we, we kind of had to, we, had, we obviously had to process a number of different things. And nothing really can prepare you for that sort of heartbreak and devastation. And, and so we, we, as a result, we questioned why God would do something like that to us. Where God's will was in the midst of that sort of pain. And I remember vividly going into work that morning really emotionally numb and and my senior pastor at the time gave me the typical church morning greeting. How's it going this morning? My response was pretty terrible actually except I used a lot stronger language that came out of my pain. After I told him what had happened all I remembered next is this. Him giving me a hug and crying with me and then he prayed for natalie and i and i don't remember anything really profound about the prayer at that moment all i know is that as he was present with me walking with me through the chaos and he prayed for natalie and i that he didn't offer any sort of advice and say you know try this this and this as he prayed the holy spirit began to minister to both of us the Holy Spirit began to bring healing. The Holy Spirit would just remain present as we grieved. He didn't try to try to make sense or understand the situation or to correct my theology as flawed as it was because I was broken and questioning. Just like the stuff we read in Psalm 13 earlier. Instead, he prayed for us. In that very moment, and, and, he, just, and he just we just stopped everything we were doing he said, can I pray for you? And we prayed in that moment very moment. He stopped what he was doing, entered into the chaos, and prayed. When we pray for each other, we reflect the kingdom priorities of community, and we invite God's character to be at work in our lives. God the healer. God the provider. God the strengthener. God the sustainer. God the forgiver. God the redeemer. When we pray for each other, we reflect God's kingdom priorities of community. And we invite God's character to be at work in our lives. Two weeks ago, I talked about how before the Holy Spirit was poured out onto humanity, God's primary vessel for communication happened through the priests within the Holy of Holies. But that on the day of Pentecost, Those priestly duties shifted from the specific individuals and instead was given to all of us. So here's the thing. If the Holy Spirit is at work in you, if the Holy Spirit has been poured into you, we need to pray for each other. All of us. Not just the leaders of the church, but for everyone. Because when we pray for each other, We are actually recognizing the divinely appointed responsibility that God has given to each of us to pray for each other. I'm going to say that again because I I don't want us to miss this. When we pray for each other, we are recognizing the divinely appointed responsibility that God has given to each of us to pray for each other. When we pray, when we pray for each other, we embrace the honor that God has given to us to boldly approach Him on behalf of other people as a sacred obligation to love one another. Sometimes when we pray for others, our, our prayers actually, instead of walking side by side, sometimes our prayers actually prop people up as they begin to reel. It actually props up their faith of others as we collectively find strength, as we experience the solidarity that only Christ-centered community has to offer. There is strength and solidarity that happens when we pray for one another. So as Paul asked for the Ephesians to pray for him, I think we do get a glimpse into how we can pray for others as well. How do we do that? Paul says here, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So as we look at at Paul's words in these verses, I think what we see is that Paul's priority is to represent Jesus well in whatever he does and wherever he is. And out of that, kingdom priorities flow out, follow. They follow him wherever he goes as he chooses Jesus. But notice what he asks for, or more specifically what he doesn't ask for. We know in verse twenty that Paul is in prison, and his prayer request here isn't, "Pray that I can get out of jail soon." Pray that God crushes my oppressors. Pray that I can oppose the persecution that I'm facing. He doesn't pray for those things. He doesn't ask for prayer for those things. That's what I would ask for. Instead, he prays with a different focus—a focus that's not on his circumstances specifically but instead a focus on God's kingdom in the midst of his circumstances. He asks for prayers to help him respond to his his circumstances in such a way that he would represent Jesus well. That wherever he is, that he would respond the way that Jesus would. The problem with that, that I see anyway, is that I'm not always interested in representing Jesus wherever I go. Sometimes I want my own comfort. Sometimes I want my needs to take precedent over what Jesus wants. Which is why it's so important then to have other people praying for us. Sometimes my desires get in the way of what God wants. And as we pray for others, we can affirm the importance of people's situations and circumstances and say, those are important, absolutely. We don't want to deny or diminish those but we affirm first, uh, that first importance is in God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray for others so that collectively we can affirm the importance of prioritizing God's kingdom and aligning ourselves with the character of Jesus and respond in that way. So how do we do that? Because I think that for most of us here, we'd say part of us really wants to reflect Jesus, and part of us really wants to prioritize God's kingdom yet we also know if we're really honest that another part of us often struggles with wanting to prioritize my kingdom and reflect myself instead. And I think we see Paul here in verse 20. He says, Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. That word as, those words, as I should. And the word that Paul uses here is meant to suggest that it's more than just a good idea or that he just wants to shame himself into change. But instead, he recognizes that there is an, an imperative to what he knows is required of him. That there is a necessity to, this, to his response here. There's a necessity for him to respond the way that Jesus would. There's a necessity for him to respond and, and to, to engage in what the kingdom looks like on earth. There's a necessity to this. Paul recognizes that it's not going to be easy. But it is necessary. But it's only through prayer that those two priorities of his will and God's will actually become aligned. So that Paul can affirm the necessity of obedience to the Holy Spirit in his life and circumstances. When we pray for each other, like Paul invites the Ephesians to. When we ask for prayer like Paul does we actually begin to weave our hearts with one another and with Jesus. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. It says a cord of three strands is not quickly broken where we actually weave ourselves with each other surround and weave ourselves with the Holy Spirit as well. Where we actually entwine our lives into one so that the Holy Spirit's presence is collectively experienced simultaneously with, with each other. And all the things going on in our lives are focused around prayer as the Holy Spirit moves in us. Because we know that in spite of all all of life's situations, all of life's problems, all of life's challenges, all of life's questions, then all those things, all those problems that we might actually have with prayer, that it's actually an opportunity for us to unite our hearts together with each other and unite our hearts with God. we pray together, we actually began to collectively affirm our dependence on God, where our perspective is no longer on ourselves, but instead it begins to to shift and focus on the nature of God at work in us and around us. And i going invite the worship team to come on up. So, how do we how do we do this though? How do we how do we put this into application? What is the the Put the boots on the ground, so to speak, when it comes to this idea of praying for one another. Seems like a good idea. We talk about it in church often. How do we pray for each other? So, one question, one prayer. Keep it simple. Here's the question. Hey, can you pray for me today? Pretty simple question. Can you pray for me? Where you actually become the initiator of the prayer. Where you become the initiator of the prayer request. Just like Paul is here. Pray for others. Hey, can you pray for me as well while I'm in jail? While I'm, so I can be an ambassador to the gospel. So first question that we can ask. Can you pray for me? So that's one responsibility. Other person. Yes, I would love to pray for you that's your response a prayer is this pray that they would know that the holy spirit that they would know the holy spirit's presence more deeply today doesn't require extra information extra details pray that you would that the holy spirit would reveal himself more deeply more profoundly more personally in that moment we don't need to give advice we don't need to give other frameworks. We don't need to give other suggestions. Let the Holy Spirit do the talking instead of us. Pray that the Holy Spirit would move and that there would be evidence of, of change in their lives through the whole work of the Holy Spirit. But here's the caveat. Do it immediately. Do it in that moment. I can't tell you how many times where I have witnessed God move And speak and encourage and prompt and affirm in moments where people have prayed for me in the specific moments. Maybe over the phone or in person. Pray for the person right then and there. Wherever you are, whenever you are. God's already present in you. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? The sacredness of God's presence is everywhere. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to put this into practice. Worship team is going to conclude with a song. After the song, we are going to end our live stream. So we want to wish you well, live streamers. But here, I'll give some instructions here. After the song, we're going to end our live stream. Those of you that are online, I encourage you to jump onto Zoom, and you can follow along with that. If you're with family and you don't have time to jump onto Zoom, I get that. But still practice this together. So first question, can you pray for me? That's what we're going to do here as well. So after after the first song, after the song, Oliver's going to say, it was going to be a moment and he's just going to transition us into, into time, time of prayer together. The worship team will continue just to play for ambiance, but beyond that, there's going to be time for us to pray together in the sanctuary. So what you'll do is you'll say, hey, can you pray for me today? I guarantee you there's going to be a 100% success rate if you ask that question. No one here is going to say no. If you're by yourself today, I'm going to be at the front here, or you can look for someone who else is by themselves. I'd love you to ask me to pray for you. Someone asks you to pray for them, pray for them. We're not going to dismiss. We're just going to, once you finish praying for each other, then you can just leave quietly, and we're just going to continue to have this space here where we can pray together. Can you pray for me? Yes, I'd love to pray for you. And then pray that that they would know the Holy Spirit's presence more deeply and more profoundly today. Does that make sense? Any questions? Beautiful. Let me close in prayer, and then we'll transition out. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the ways that you provide space for us to worship you. And Lord, as we enter into this time of reflection and celebration and and pray for your spirit to move, God, we pray that you would. That as we pray for each other, that we would actually be living out exactly what Paul is talking about here as we pray for each other. That we would put it into application, that it wouldn't just be words or concepts or ideas, but that there would just be a very strong application of us praying for each other, loving each other, whether it's strangers, whether it's family members, whether it's friends. That we would be able to pray for your Holy Spirit to move in profound and obvious ways in people's lives. Lord, we pray this in your name.